verses 1 through 10 collectively speak of God reconciling us. Okay, God, uh, we were separated from God. We, we see this from the beginning. We see this in our own hearts. Growing up, we were, we were separated from God, right? Because we are sinners, we are tainted, and we're selfish, we're prideful, all those lovely things. And God said, look, I love you regardless, and I want to redeem you. I want to bring you back into a fold in a relationship where it is harmonious and it's beautiful and there is nothing that can separate us, right? Nothing. And so what Jesus did was what? He died for us. He took our place. He took our punishment so that we had the opportunity to be reconciled to God, which is awesome. Again, he did all the work. So today we're going to be in verses 11 through 18, and we're going to be talking about, again, being reconciled through the cross. And we're going to be talking about reconciliation, not just between God and man, but between man and man. You and your relationship with people here on earth. Because I, it, I'm speaking to a crowd of 50 kids right now. I'm sure uh, some of you have some type of conflict with another person in your life, right? where you are either not speaking to them or you just had an argument or you may think you're right and they're wrong or I don't know, that's just how we are, right? And, and so this is for you. Maybe somebody hurt you, some, did something wrong and, and you haven't been able to forgive them. This is for you, okay? God has called us to be peacemakers, right? Blessed are the what? The peacemakers, right? And we have been given the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Let's talk about it. Let's read verses 11 through 18. It says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. Now, as we're reading this, remember Paul is writing to the Ephesians. That at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, back in Paul's day, um, there, were, there, there wasn't racism in the sense of like blacks and whites, right? There was racism in the sense of Jews and Gentiles. Those who were, as Paul is going to put it, the uncircumcised and those who we're circumcised and we'll get we'll talk about that in a minute not in depth okay but we'll talk about it in a minute but he starts off in verse 11 he says therefore remember right and we have to when there's a therefore in the bible or anywhere we see what it's there for right therefore is therefore for the reason of what was already written previously and we already saw in verses 1 through 10 that paul has told us that we were dead in our sins and yet god reached out to save us by his grace and Paul is now going to elaborate on how this salvation by God's grace has affected the Gentile Christians, right? So there's the Jews and then there's the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are everyone who is not Jewish, 
okay, of, they're not of the Jewish ancestry, of the lineage. That would be me. Actually, I think so. I don't know. I don't really don't know where I'm from, okay? But I would be considered a Gentile, right? Most of us in here would be considered a Gentile, and Gentiles were excluded back in the Old Testament from some of the promises that God had specifically for the nation of Israel. But what we come to find out is that we're obviously not living in the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament being before Jesus came to this earth and died, and the New Testament being then thereafter, we live in that New Testament law, which is that we are all one, as we're going to see in a minute. That regardless of Jew or Greek, slaved or free, black or white, tall or short, that in Christ Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, we are all one. Right? We are all, as Jesus puts it, we're all one body. We're all one. We're all one. Circumcision. Let's talk about it. Anybody want to explain what it is? Anybody want to come here and do it for me? No. Circumcision. We'll talk about that. Yes, there's two aspects to it. There's, There's the physical and then there's the spiritual. Circumcision is the surgical removal of the foreskin of a male. Don't know what that is? Go ask your parents. And the word circumcised literally means to cut around. As a religious rite, circumcision was required of all of Abraham's descendants as a sign of the covenant God made with him. And Abraham was serious about what God had made, the covenant and the promise that God had made with Abraham. Because he was willing, listen, out of anything that Abraham did, like forget that he took his son up on Mount Moriah and tried to sacrifice him. Like whoop de doo like that doesn't hurt Abraham. Abraham was so committed. Do you know what he did what at the age of like 100? Yeah, he got circumcised. And so did the rest of the males that were any other age besides a baby. That takes commitment. You know what I mean? Guys? Can, yeah? Yeah. Like you are serious. It's not like, ah, oh, well, maybe, you know, I'm not really sure, but I'll do it. No, like you have to be 100% committed. And Abraham was 100% committed. And that was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham and Abraham's people, which has become the nation of Israel. Right? So, so here's this sign of the circumcision, but there's more to it. Even in, in Leviticus, we saw that in Genesis. That's in Genesis chapter 17, if you want to look at it. But even later in Leviticus, we see that in the Mosaic law, it's repeated. That requirement is repeated. And the Jews throughout centuries have practiced this circumcision. We even see it now today in, in this modern world. Um, for various reasons, people do it. They do it for health aspects. They do it for different reasons. You know, I'm not going to get into all the reasons, but even nowadays we do it here in America, but they, we do it for a different reason than the Jews did it. Now, circumcision was done to all Jewish male babies, a physical, and, and at this point when they made the covenant, it had to be done to all current males, regardless of the age. But going forward, it was for all male babies, and it was so cool that God God showed them the exact day to do it where, I don't remember the exact reason, but it was the healthiest day to do it where it was, it was done perfectly. And it could, what day was it? Was it the eighth day? On the eighth day. Seventh day was too soon. Ninth day was too late. But on the eighth day, you could do it perfectly. And so uh, it was done to all male babies, a physical mark of distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And Jewish people took pride in this, that they were God's chosen people. And can you see how this could be a source of spiritual pride? 
you know, maybe we don't look at it in the sense of circumcision, but we look at it in the sense of other things where, hey, I've got this, I'm in this ministry, I'm in the worship team, I'm on the greeting team, I've been on missions trips, I go to this, I go to that, I know my Bible verses, and all of that stuff can make us spiritually prideful, when in reality, God wants us to be humble and just sitting at his feet. So that's something for us to just take in and, and look in and, and look at our own lives. Am I spiritually pride, prideful? Now, Paul, when he's speaking here in verse um, 11, he says to those who are called uncircumcision and to those that are called the circumcision, he's, call, he, uh, he's talking about those who called themselves circumcised because they had gone through an outward human physical ritual. They had circumcision made in the flesh. Now, God told them to specifically do it in the flesh, right? Because that was... As simple as it gets, it was a distinction. It was a mark. Why did that? I, I don't know. Like, I guess they couldn't like put a check mark on their forehead or something. It would have been nicer. But what we see, and as Bethany pointed out earlier, is there actually really is a spiritual aspect to it, right? So the physical is you're cutting away flesh, right? The spiritual again is the same thing. Is where you're you're getting rid of the flesh and you're walking in the spirit. You're cutting away the sin nature. It was a picture that a person was not going to live after their sinful fleshly nature, but after the spirit. Now, the people who were called the the circumcision, these were uh, called, uh, what does it say? The people who were called the circumcision called these Gentiles the uncircumcision. So we've got the Jews here calling themselves the circumcised, and the Jews who are calling the Gentiles the uncircumcised, the uncircumcision as the word says. Right? They're basically looking at them like, ah, you're uncircumcised. <laughs> I don't know if they were looking at them that way. But you're a Gentile, right? You are not God's people, so you don't have the same rights that we do. You don't have the same blessings and promises like you, as Paul says in verses 12, the Jews consider Gentiles without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers having no hope and without God in the world right? That's how Jews looked at Gentiles. Is that very loving? <laughs> like, no, not at all. Like, hey, sucks to be you. Like, and think about this. What was the, gen- what was the only, what was their only fault for not having the promises of God and all those different things that the Jews had? They weren't born a Jew, right? Like, how do you help that? Right? Like, I couldn't help that I was born white. I couldn't help that I was born in San Diego. I couldn't help that I was born a male. You know what I mean? It's like all these things that I had no control over, yet we take those things that we don't have control over and we elevate ourselves to those that we believe are are lesser because of something they can't control, which makes no sense, right? Here we are being prideful in the things that we can't control and it's just by circumstance that you are the way that you are. And the Jews are taking pride in this and they're cutting down the Gentiles. And so we see this huge division between the Jews and the Gentiles. We see it even, even in our history with, with blacks and whites. We saw it even past history with, with the Jews and the Germans, right? We see it even today where there's a lot of racism, whether it's, it's our skin color or something else, you know, our statuses and where, we're, where we've grown up. There's a lot. And we have to look beyond that stuff and see that we are one in Christ. Do you know that it's said that the most segregated time day of the week is Sunday? Isn't that crazy? 
Honestly, I, I'll be straight up. I've seen even churches here, like in Clayton, where it's predominantly white, predominantly black. And look, look around the room right now. I see like every different shade, every different nationality, like different. Some of us speak different languages. Some of us barely speak one language. Like I, I love the mix that we have. It's beautiful, right? And it's, it's not that even like we look beyond like our skin color, right? There's obviously way more to us than our skin color, but it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, some people say like, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Yes, you do. The thing is we, we embrace it. We celebrate it, right? We celebrate where you're from and who you are. Like, that's awesome. Like, I love that we've got people who are from, you're, you're from here, but you got people from like, you know, Guatemala that, that can cook. Like, that's why we have all these amazing foods, right? When we have potluck, if we were like all white, we'd all have like some, yeah. <laughs> Salad. Kale. We, everybody just bring kale. But we got people are bringing like this dank mac and cheese, right? Then we got some people that are bringing, you know, the, uh, pulled pork and you know it's just so different and and it goes beyond just our skin color it's where you're from right so i'm from the west coast and i came out here and i moved to the east coast and it's a completely different ball game right like the things that are i know i never knew i didn't know what coleslaw was i still hate it it's gross i never knew what tea was it's from it's where i'm from right uh what else is there? there's there's some weird like i never had pulled i never had any type of barbecue right it's just it's just how the south is compared to the west but but i love it so here's our church right and as we're going to get into in a minute because i'm kind of jumping the gun we are all one body right we celebrate who we are you know i i love the distinctions between us i think it's an awesome and beautiful thing and it's not something that we should look past but it's something that we should embrace and and here we are again you looked around the room and we're all completely different not any of us is the same right none of us are the same all of us have have been been born in different places born at different times we have different family trees we have we're it's we're all so different and i love that we embrace it and it's not something that we should ever ever take so much pride in that we demean other people for not being that way right and the one main focus that we have the reason that our church is I believe so blended is because we all focus on Jesus Christ and we all have that same common denominator of Jesus because Jesus as we see as Paul writes is the one who is going to bring this all together just as he's he brought all the Jews and the Gentiles together right where the Jews hated the Gentiles because they couldn't live up to the standard that the Jews lived up to that they weren't as special, that they weren't chosen, that they didn't live by the law. And here's the Gentiles like, well, I'm going to go completely against the law. I'm going to go beyond that and do something completely opposite just to, to spite you, right? Or maybe there's some Gentiles that were bond because they weren't a Jew. Either way, God broke all that down. And he says right here that the middle wall of separation was taken down. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But here he meshes them all together, regardless of where you're from, who you are, what you think, that if Jesus Christ is your Lord, then we are all one, that we are all reconciled together, that we should all love and embrace one another. It's not so much as, oh, we can get along. No, 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 that's not good enough. 
It's not good enough to just get along and be able to stay in the same room as another person, right? You have to love one another the way that Christ loved you, right? What's the second greatest commandment? What's the first? Let's start with that. Love God, okay? We're all on the same point. Love God. Second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. You love yourself a lot. Love your neighbor a lot right and your neighbor would include really anybody you know it's the golden rule in elementary school you know do as unto others as you would have unto you right love them treat them the way that you'd want to be treated that includes everyone that doesn't just include the people in your classroom right in the same way this doesn't just include people within the church this is everyone that we come in contact with but when jesus was was with his disciples by themselves right he told them here's a new commandment half free we just learned this in john he said to his disciples that you love one another as, Christ, as, as, uh, as I have loved you, as Jesus has loved us. Which goes way beyond loving yourself. Because Jesus loves you more than you love yourself. So when it comes to us as, as Christians, as fellow Christians, it goes beyond just, again, putting up with one another. We have to love each other the way that Christ loved us. And that is the way that the world will know that we are his disciples. Could you imagine somebody new coming in here and here we are proclaiming, you know, worshiping and, and, and learning of the word and doing this and that. And we can't even get along with each other. You know what I mean? Like who wants to be a part of that? <laughs> I don't. We all have Jesus Christ and under Jesus Christ, there should be humility. And one of the main reasons that we have these broken relationships or these arguments or whatever it may be is because so much pride is involved in it. So often when we argue, when, when, when our relationships are, are broken or they are whatever, so often it's because either somebody has hurt us or because we think that we're right. Right? I know a lot of our arguments, actually we never argue, but that, remember that one time we did? It's, it's a matter of like, listen, do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? Because if you always want to be right, and more likely than not, you're probably wrong. But even the time that you may be right, would you rather be right and ruin your relationship? Or would you rather be able to humble yourself and fix and mend that relationship? And to forgive and to love? think about that I don't know maybe there's somebody in this room maybe there's somebody in your life that you have separated from that maybe they said something you heard some type of gossip or you saw something on Instagram or snapchat or something happened at prom or school and it's you know at your age it's probably like not even 100% true because you heard it through like the grapevine and at that point and you, you know when we played telephone that one time remember and, and it started off with like, I love tacos, and it ended up being Ashley is a Jew. Do you remember that? <laughs> Do you remember that? So it's like, you go through one person, two, three people, by the time the information gets back to you about what somebody said about you, is probably not even right to begin with. You know what I mean? No, honestly, that did happen. It was, it was stupid. Let's talk, let's talk about this. Let's, let's finish, huh? I don't, it was so funny that I never forgot it. 
All right, so he goes on in verse 12 and he says uh, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. So he says that at the beginning they were without Christ before they were Christians. That was a state that these Gentile believers were in, being strangers, right? Aliens, as, as Paul puts it, from the commonwealth of Israel. What's that commonwealth? Well, basically, it was, uh, it, it's the word, po- I don't even know how to pronounce it, P-O-L-I-T-E-I-A, which is kind of where we get our word politics. And from this, it means a city with walls. So, in a sense, they were outside the walls. They weren't able to be in the VIP wing. And also, they were strangers from the covenants of promise. And if you guys remember, if you, as we're reading through Exodus and Genesis, we see a lot of these different promises that God gave to his people of Israel, these covenants, these contracts that were given to them. And and the Gentiles were strangers to these. They, they weren't allowed to partake of these. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus Christ came and he allowed us to then, for all of us to partake in the same thing, that none of us would be left out of anything. Nobody would get more than the other and nobody would get less than the other. He goes on to say, having no hope and without God in the world. Have you ever felt like you had no hope? Whether that's, you don't have to raise your hand, but whether that's in life or whether that's like with a test or with a girl, I don't know. You're like, I have no hope, right? I thought that with Whitney. I was like, I have no hope. But then the hope became reality. It's a terrible thing not to have hope. If you don't have hope, then, I mean, how do you know how to explain it? Like, what good is it? There's no point in doing anything. There's no point in trying, right? And that's how it is without God. There is no hope. You might think you have this type of hope and you have hope for this week and this month and whatnot, but but there's no hope in eternal life. And with God, we have not only hope here on earth, but we have hope to come. So anything that ever happens, we know that we have this hope set in Jesus Christ that I will be with him for eternity, right? There's three great things that that God talked about, right? It was faith, love, and what? Hope. It's three things that are really important. Faith, love, and hope. And obviously we know that love is the greatest of all those. But faith and hope are just as important as well. We have to have hope in this Christian life. And we do because we have Jesus Christ. We have a hope that goes beyond the grave. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Right? As you get older, that's what happens. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things are which, which are not seen are eternal. As a Christian, we look beyond just the momentary pleasure or hope or satisfaction. We see the unseen. We see Jesus Christ and what he has in store and and the things that are beyond just this side of heaven. And when you don't have Christ, you don't have hope. And Jesus Christ came to give you hope. He goes on to say in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus you were once far off and have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's the solution. 
You feel like you have no hope. You feel like you're alone. You feel like you're a stranger, right? Jesus Christ specifically thought of you when he went to the cross and he shed his blood and he said, look, I want to bring you back into the fold of God. I want to bring you back in into this family, right? I want to bring you back. Those who were far off, he says, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. How do you get close to God? It tells you right here. How do you get near to God? By the blood of Christ. It's all through Jesus Christ. Don't try anything else. It's through Jesus Christ. And why is it the blood of Jesus Christ? Many people suggest different ways to come near to God. Some think you can come by keeping the law, belonging to a group, going to church. But the only way to be brought near to God is by the blood of Christ. What Jesus did on the cross, suffering as a guilty sinner in the place of guilty sinners, brings us near to God. God set up the principle of substitutionary sacrifice. And we see this in the Old Testament. That's why they were slaughtering lambs and other animals. The idea is that one thing could give its life in the place of another. And the thing that would represent the life of the sacrifice would be the blood. And we see this in Leviticus. Jesus died for us, right? And the thing that represents his life being poured out in our place was the spilling of his blood. And because of Jesus Christ now, we are able to, through him, be reconciled to God and be near to God. Apart from that, we were separated. We were far off, as Paul puts it. And he goes on to say in verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. God's work of reconciliation is not only between God and the individual, which we saw in verse 13. Although it begins there, it starts there, it needs to. It also, it's also between groups of people that are, that are at odds, such as Jews and Gentiles in Paul's day. And even in our day, there's, di- there's different groups. There's different denominations of churches. There's different types of people. There's different beliefs and thinking of, of how to structure and do things within government. And the one thing that brings us together, the, the, the thing that breaks down that wall of separation is Jesus Christ. But that only comes from us being reconciled with God first. Otherwise, there's still going to be this separation. There's still going to be this argument. There's still going to be this, I'm better than you. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21 says this, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's part of your ministry, is the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. I love that. Have you guys ever been on YouTube or Instagram where somebody's an ambassador for some type of company? What do they do? They try to sell you on it, right? They're like, oh my gosh, this is the best eyeliner I've ever had. It like does not smear. You know what I mean? You're like, I've been using it for a full 10 minutes now. And, and they do that because they just want to gain stuff from it 
right? Very. I worked with a skincare company where we we tried to get ambassadors, and really they just do it for the for the free goods that they get or the the money or whatever discounts, right? But we do it because we know that there is a reconciliation with God because there's something far greater than just free swag, right? This is life and death. That if you want to be reconciled, if you want to be somebody that has hope, if you want to be somebody that has peace, because Paul says, for he himself is our peace, then we have to proclaim this gospel to others. That is our ministry of reconciliation, is presenting that that gospel to those that are separated from God, from those who have not been reconciled to God. He goes on to say, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Think about it. What good does it do me if you're saved or not? Honestly, if I have Jesus, I'm going to heaven, right? Like, I'm not standing before Jesus with you. I'm going to be by myself. So why, why do we do it? Why, why are we become ambassadors for Christ if we get nothing out of it? Because we love others, right? Because we know and we've seen the goodness of Christ that we can't but not help other people. We can't but want to share what Christ has for them. Because we were in that place just like them at one point. I'm so glad that the gospel was presented, in, presented to me. You know, and I believe that everyone will hear the gospel at one point or another, that even nature speaks of God and that God is, God could be seen and, and God can do amazing, miraculous things. And you have the question of, well, what about the people in Africa that live in the wilderness and they don't, they've never heard of Jesus, right? Like, how are they going to be saved, right? Listen, God is gracious. God is loving. Don't worry about them. You worry about you. And God will work on them. But we also, for those that live around us, for those that we come in contact with, God has called us to be ambassadors and to have the ministry of reconciliation. And it better first and foremost start within your family, right? Whether that's your parents, maybe you need to go home and you need to apologize, you need to forgive your parents, your siblings. Then it needs to start with within your church, within your family, within your, your school. And then we need to bring that ministry of reconciliation to those who are not reconciled. But start with your own life first. For he, it says in verse 14, look again, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Right? So you're looking for peace. Paul tells us right now that Jesus Christ is your peace. And nothing else can bring you peace, right? So I was telling you that we were watching Tiny House stuff. And we saw this one lady, oh my gosh, she was kind kind of kooky. And uh, she was all into like, and I think this stuff is great, don't get me wrong. Like, But when it's like your God, then it gets kooky. Uh, but like meditating, right? How do you find your peace? Is it through yoga, meditating? Is it through, you know, Netflix? Is it through, uh, no, honestly, like sometimes that's like very restful, right? But true peace, true peace. When you're at ease with everything and you can fully surrender and trust in something only comes from Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Everything else might like chill you out, right? Like yoga will do that. Meditating will do that. Netflix will do that, right? All that will help you to be just chill. 
but it, it does not take away the anxiety and the stress and whatever else is going on within your heart because only God can do that only Jesus Christ can bring us peace because he is our peace he goes on and he says again in verse 14 he has made both one so instead of these two groups the Jews and the Gentiles they are now one group right they are one group under Jesus Christ how do we get to that point how do we get to the point of where we are one with others how do we get to the point where we can reconcile with somebody? How do, I, how do I go from thinking I'm right and they're wrong and we have this argument, we have this split, or maybe they hurt me, they said something about me, they did something. How, how do I get beyond that? Because I don't want to forgive them. They don't want my forgiveness, so I'm not going to forgive them. Have you guys ever felt that way? Maybe something terrible has happened to you. Maybe something terrible has happened to you and you just cannot find it in your heart to forgive them. That is a hard place to be. And I don't know, it, it might take time, and I don't know, but I do know that the right solution, the right thing to do is to forgive. And again, that's an easy thing for me to say. It's an easy thing for anybody to say. But when something terrible has happened to you, forgiving is like the last thing you want. You want vengeance. You want them to hurt. You want them to suffer the way that possibly you suffered or you hurt. But God tells us, he says this over, over and over within the Bible. He tells us to forgive. It says in Colossians 2.13, it says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And then we even see later on in this book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 32, it says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I want to share like a quick story with you guys. Back when I was younger, I did something not good. I did something pretty bad, and I I hurt somebody. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into details because I don't want you knowing about it <laughs> for various reasons. Um, and I tried to seek forgiveness. But sometimes when you hurt somebody pretty bad, the last thing they want to do is forgive you, right? Sometimes they want to hurt you. <laughs> and eventually that person forgave me. And the only reason why was because God forgave them first. Because somebody told them about the, the parable, the story in, in the gospel where Jesus talks about the servant of the king. Remember that? where he owed the servant, like, what was it? A couple million dollars or something, right? And the king said, I, I, forg like, I forgive you. Like, that is, our, your slate is clean. You don't need to pay me back. Remember that? Then that servant went out and he had a servant and that servant to him owed him like five bucks in comparison to the couple million dollars. And the servant that was forgiven by the king said, well, forget you. I'm not going to forgive you. I forget what he says. I'm totally like paraphrasing right now. But in a sense, he's like, I don't forgive you. And I think he threw him in jail, right? Threw him in jail and he, and he also threw his family in jail, right? How does that make sense? And I think it got back to the king or something. But the point is, right, if, if you've been forgiven much, you can forgive much, right? Like you have to realize that you as a Christian, God has forgiven so much of you that how could you not forgive somebody else for what they have done to you? And that person realized it. 
and they forgave me and I'll never forget it. And then since that point, I'm like, well, how, again, I look at it in my own life. If somebody does something to me, if somebody does something to my wife or to my kids or something, says something, sure, I'm not perfect. I'll be upset. I'll be angry. But there has to come a point where I humble myself and I realize that God, you forgave me that I can't continue to live on with this bitterness. I can't continue to live on this on with this because it will destroy you. It will kill you. It will hurt. And the most freeing thing you can do is to forgive that person whether they want it or not. And so maybe you're in that situation. Maybe, I I don't know what angle you're in, but if there needs to be forgiveness or you need to forgive somebody, that you you need to take action on that. You need to work on it. And if you're struggling with it, take it to the Lord. And, and he will show you the forgiveness and the love that he's shown you. And it will in turn affect you in your relationship with others. And you realize, I can't not forgive that person. And, it, and you know what is awesome is that after those, after you've been reconciled, sometimes your, your bond and your relationship with people becomes stronger. It does. But I also want to say that it sometimes doesn't also go back to the way that it was depending on what happened to you. And sometimes it might be even better to not even have a relationship with that person, again, depending on what happened to you. But all in all, you still have to forgive if you want to grow, if you want to be free. So he goes on to say in verse, where are we at? 15? Yeah, verse 15. Actually, let me read this really quick. First John 4, 20 through 21. This is really good. It says, if someone says, I love God, right? That would be probably most of us but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we also have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Right? So as a Christian, as somebody who says, I love God, it's very important for us to obey that commandment and to love others and to not do it in a superficial, you know, fake way, but a genuine, honest, agape love for one another. Love and humility are key to this reconciliation. So he has made us both one. The work of Jesus on the cross is the common ground of salvation for both Jew and Gentile and for all of us. Therefore, there is no longer any dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Jesus broke that wall down. Now listen to this. It's funny. And when Paul was actually writing this, he's actually under house arrest in, in Rome. Like He's basically in jail at home right and that's when he's writing this book of ephesians and you know why he's there well he was awaiting trial because he was falsely accused by the jews of taking a gentile into the temple past the literal wall of separation dividing jew and gentile you remember this we talked about this and we read this in acts and they they caused this uproar and they were they were accusing him of doing this because it was completely wrong for this gentile to be in the jewish portion of the temple right and God said that is stupid I'm gonna break down that wall and he literally broke down that wall and Paul makes it very clear here that that wall is gone that there is no this is the Jewish side and this is the Gentile side this is the temple of God and this is where we all come under right there is no free there is no slave there is no none of this we are all under Jesus Christ the wall of separation is gone. It goes on to say in verse 15, and we'll come to a close. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, 
that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace now one of the biggest sources of contention between the jews and the gentiles was that the gentiles did not keep the law right now the law was basically the ten commandments and a few other uh things that that god put in there but a lot of the law is was traditional and the jews took it further than it needed to go right they had some crazy things if you look up the laws kind of like the crazy laws that we have in america sometimes when you read like funny laws like you can't walk like (laughs) exactly yeah i almost did that i almost did it had it in my right pocket right but but see how like we're like we like scoff at that and like oh it's stupid it's funny that's really how the jews took it they took it way too far because what they were trying to do is they were trying to write their relationship by doing doing good or doing right and doing things above and beyond right and god said as we learned earlier that no no, no. if you want to come near it's by the blood of jesus it has nothing to do with how well you do something that comes after yeah like you need to be obedient but you do not come to jesus by doing good or doing things really really well and so there was this huge huge source of contention and uh and what we come to find out from the very beginning that the law was put in for what reason i mean there's a couple reasons but one of the main reasons was to show that like we could not live to the standard of the law Right? You think of the Ten Commandments. I mean, how many of those commandments do you break on a daily basis? You know what I mean? And God's like, I put this here to show you that like you're you're dumb. Like you can't live by it. That you actually that you are a sinner, that you cannot obey, and that you need a savior. Right? So the law shows us that we're sinful, that we're separated from God God. The law demands that our sin brings a consequence, and there must be a payment for that sin. And the law provides that a sacrifice might be made in which someone else pays for your sin. Again, saw that in the Old Testament. And Jesus is God's perfect sacrifice. He died on the cross for us. And now there is no longer an issue of those who are looking to the law and those who aren't. Because the issue now is whether you will, you will trust Jesus, that he paid for your sins, or you don't trust him. Again, it's all under Jesus now. It has nothing to do with anything else. It goes on in verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. We are all brought, regardless of where we're from, who we are, we are brought together into one body. And we see that here within our church. We are brought into one church body. We are unified under Jesus Christ. And that our unity in Jesus is far greater than than anything that we have done or been through or that we are. And this all happened through the cross. We have been reconciled through the cross. And there's an emphasis on this. Paul says this many times. He says he repeated the idea when he said, near by the blood, having abolished in his flesh the enmity in one body through Christ or through the cross. This unity didn't just happen. Jesus really fought for this. He laid down his life for this. In verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. I love that. They were far off. That, that He preached to those who were far off, speaking of the Gentiles, and, and he preached to those who were near, the Jews. 
They all needed Jesus. They all needed a Savior. And he did it. And it says, For through him, now, because we have been reconciled, all of us who are unified in one body, that through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. I love that. We are all one. We all, ha- we all go down the same road that Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit all lead us together collectively. We see here, and you notice, and we'll end with this, notice the work of the Trinity, and all three play a part in redemption. The Father is the goal of the redemption, and our goal is to know and come to the Father. Jesus died on the cross to make it possible for us to know God, and the Spirit is the one who takes us to the Father. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father.